C.S. Lewis, as he is wont to do or noted to do, always summarizes a most profound truth in a most memorable way. And one of the great lie, one of the great statements he has made is this, we may think God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain kind. You know, I, I regularly need to hear that statement because we, in our culture, we're, we're activist people, we're busy people, we're production-centered people. We, we believe that God has projects and plans and ideas for us to undertake and it really is necessary for us regularly to come back to this truth, which is really truly profound and really absolutely summarizes the reality of God. We may think God wants actions of a certain kind, but God wants people of a certain kind. Now today, of course, we've entitled the sermon, Caleb and Joshua, uh, Overcoming the Impossible. But I want to say to you right from the very front end of today's uh, message that it's probably a different impossible than you might be thinking. Those of you who know the Caleb Joshua story, you know the story of the people of Israel who were um, fast-tracked out of Egypt, out of slavery in, in Egypt, and uh, we pick them up about two, just a little over two years into their life of freedom in God or having been released from Egypt, and they've been wandering around in the, uh, the wilderness a little bit, but they were on a, on a mission to go to the promised land. And so uh, they arrive uh, on the edge of the promised land, and we're going to look at today the discovery that within that land were all kinds of obstacles and challenges and big people and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and so when we, at first glance we look at this lesson and we say, aha, the impossible is to take possession of that land and all the obstacles are in that land. But I want to submit to you today that I think the impossible of the story is something entirely different. I don't think the impossible is the obstacles and the opposition and the big people and the fortified cities and all of that kind of stuff. I think the impossible is the hearts of God's people who are on the edge of the promised land but not ready for what it meant to actually be a certain kind of people. You see, taking possession of the land is what we think is at first glance what this is all about, but I think it's taking possession of purchased hearts. And I believe that that story is timeless. I believe it applies absolutely to us. And so if you're a person of action, if you're a type A person, a busy person, a practical person, a person with great ideas and plans and measurements and you measure things, you, you, uh, you, you record things and we keep attendance here and we keep all kinds of things like that. The truth of the matter is God is more interested in who you are than what you have done or are doing. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, pause this morning to hear from you, um, I, I know I feel this way all the time, Lord, but once again, we, we are upon a message that is of such critical importance for our lives that to miss this is to really miss what it means to live uh, the life of the Christian. Uh, and so, Lord, I, I just pray that you would focus and laser our hearts, uh, our attention, our spiritual antennae would be, would be absolutely pointed and directed at you. Lord, speak to us 
Your servants are listening. May we hear with spiritual ears, Lord, to hear and, and, and receive and welcome what you have for us, even though it's a hard lesson because so many of us struggle in this area. Lord, it is a lesson of liberty and victory. And to, to um, welcome this into our lives is to really experience what it means to have the victorious Christian life, which we long to have. And so, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in every way and that, that your spirit, oh God, would visit us powerfully this morning, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who trust the Lord to save them, and there are people who believe that they have to save themselves. That really, that's how our world breaks down. But it can be finely tuned a little more clearly than that when we take it even into the Christian community because you either trust the Lord and are fully dependent upon Him or you live most of your life trusting in yourself, self-reliant, self-made. And as we launch our way into this message, you will discover perhaps that you may be more self-reliant than you have been admitting to yourself. You see, in our best of moments, we are regularly trusting in our own strength, our own limitations. I want to take you into the heart of this lesson uh, from the scriptures for, for a moment, and then I want to make uh, about three observations today from the text. And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd love to hear pages turning, even better than electronics. But electronics are good. Hold up your Bibles if you have your Bible here this morning. Hold them up. All right. How about the electronics? Oh, there's lots of those too. There you go. All right. As long as you have God's Word with you, we're all set. In Numbers chapter 13, I, I want to start because uh, I want you to notice something in a couple of the first front end verses. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... By the way, it's the fourth book in the Bible. So in case people are racing to their index, it's the fourth book in the Bible. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. For each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now, turn over to uh, verse 26. So they were told, of course, in the in-between verses that they go into the land and they look around and they see stuff and they see some of the fruit of the land and they, they make a big deal of having to carry a bunch of grapes between poles. That's kind of exciting. And pomegranates and figs, that's not exciting. <laughs> and, um, and, and there are 40 days. It says there are 40 days in there, looking around, snooping around. And then we get to verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. 
The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explore devours or literally kills people. That's what they said. Those living it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anna come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But... The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the Israelites. Well, this is the word of God. I, I would submit to you this morning that in the, the most honest of moments, we have to admit to ourselves that we are like the ten spies. When we look at this, we think how, how rude, how ridiculous and all of that. But, but when we're really honest and when we really examine our lives day to day, we have to admit that sometimes we're really like them. We've been, the problem is we've been relying so long, many of us, on our own strength and our own abilities that we measure everything that God asks us to do against our own resources. Do I have enough? Do I have enough time? Do I have enough ability? Do I have enough desire? Do I have enough courage? Do I have enough time? Do I have enough money? If we're honest, and we hear a message from God, we regularly run it through the grid of our own resources and limitations. What we can do. Because we live so much of our lives by what we can see and by what we have. This is the situation that we find in this particular section with God's people. The truth of the matter is what is really impossible or the impossible to overcome is our dependency on ourselves and our own resources before Christ can be fully formed in us. 
That's the big challenge in our lives. God, God didn't send Israel into this land to clear the land. He sent them into the land that their cluttered hearts might be cleared of the things that were in the way of fully devoting themselves to God. That's the constant battle in our own lives. That's the day-to-day reality of the average Christian person, the normal Christian. C.H. Spurgeon said this, you will never know the fullness of Christ until you know the emptiness of everything else. So I want to um, share three things with you this morning from what we get in this text. There are so many things. But let me just pick out and highlight three things. The first question that sort of jumps at me is, why not just vacant land, God? Um, we, have to, we have to realize that, that God had been preaching this sermon about the promised land since way back in the time of Abraham. When... when uh, Keith Edwards preached here a couple of weeks ago. He preached on the call of Abraham. And it was at the call of Abraham that God said to him, I will make you as numerous as the sand and the seashores and the stars in the sky, remember? And he said, and I'm going to give you a land where your uh, people will take possession and those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. I'm giving you that land, Abraham. And then a couple of chapters later, and that's in Genesis chapter 12, a few chapters later, he comes to him again and and he renews the covenant with Abraham. And he says, now, by the way, you're not going to get it for about 400 years because the sin of the Amorites is not yet full. That highlights, by the way, the patience of our God. You know, let's, let's understand something. This is a side issue. This is free. It doesn't cost anything. I'm just throwing this in. God does not have a quick trigger finger. God has incredible patience. If you read through the scriptures and you're wondering, what about the people that, you know, God seems to bypass and, 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 and why me and why not them? Listen, God has incredible patience with humanity. When he says the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached fullness yet, there was 400 years. In fact, that was t- the time of God's patience upon that land where they could turn to God and live. But he renews the covenant with him in Genesis 15 and says, you'll take the possession of the land. And then, of course, we know that, that God's, in God's providence and his plan, he takes the Israelite people, he rescues them, brings them to Egypt that they might be taken care of because he's calling out a people for his own name who will live to give and bring the fame of God to the world which, by the way, is the history of redemption, which, by the way, is part of our history. We are continuing to make history as the people of God. This is our story. We are results of this story. And, and so, um, and, and of course, they, they are in slavery to Egypt and, and God out of his mercy and his compassion and because he's a saving God and he honors his promises and commitments, he brings them out of Egypt. He, he fast tracks them out of Egypt and they get to go through the, the, the Red Sea parts and they walk out of the Red Sea and and they're liberated from Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. And, and, and the, the covenant is renewed with Moses. And Moses, as the new leader of Israel, is reminded, by the way, Moses, I'm rescuing you out of this to take you to the people to the promised land. There I will form a people after my own name, a peculiar people who will live for me and serve me and, and, and honor me. And, and he reminds him. And, and out throughout all of the book of Exodus, there's this reminder and this constant sermon of God, the same sermon. The sermon is, 
I am going to take you to the promised land. I, I am a saving, redeeming God, the plan of God's redemption to purchase for himself a people, to take them out of slavery and to move them into a place, into a relationship with him where they can grow and prosper and thrive and, and, and experience his blessings just like we experience. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ is ours. And, and so this, this plan of redemption is, is put in place and God continues to preach the same sermon to them and by the time when we get to numbers chapter 11 or chapter 13 the sermon is now going to be applied we hear lots of sermons you've heard if you've been a church brat like me since the nursery I can't even begin to tell you how many sermons I've heard but the rubber hits the road in life when the sermon is called upon to be applied to our lives. Lots of us are listeners to sermons, but now the sermon is to be applied. I'm giving you this land. Now I want you to apply the sermon to your lives. And of course, we realize that um, uh, in this text, they reject the application of the sermon. They claim it's too hard. It's, we can't take the land. The people are strong. They're fierce and all of that. And, and I, I, I make the first observation on the basis of this sort of general statement I've just made, created a picture and told you the story. And that is this. You and I are actually the impossibility of our own impos- of our impossibility. Now you're saying, what are you talking about? You are the impossibility of your impossibility. The truth of the matter is God wants the right to use the impossible to overcome you. The first and the most major obstacle to to applying the sermon uh, of deliverance into the promised land was the people. Their own hearts. They didn't want to go in and take the land. They didn't want to apply the sermon. You see, um, among the biggest impossibilities in our own lives is the trading of our dependency upon ourselves and our own strength for God's strength and God's power. Why didn't they want to go in? Because they took a look at the land, they surveyed the land, they looked at the, 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 the opposition and they said, we don't have enough resources to take this land. We're not strong enough. How does that happen in our lives? How how do we go from a charged up about a sermon and a message from God, walking out of here, and and by the time we get to our car, we start to make statements like, well, we don't have enough money to do that. I I don't have enough courage to do that. I don't have enough emotional desire to do that. How does it happen? I have been, um, we've been a series of sermons that are building a case for God's rights in our lives. And um, from Jonah through Hannah to Samuel to Abraham, there's been a constant message if you've been paying attention. And that message has been about depending entirely on God. 
say, oh, yeah, I know, I know, I get it. No, no, you maybe don't get it. Because here's what regularly, we hear sermons about um, uh, a sermon, you, you, need, you need to love your, you, need to, you need to love those who hate you. You need to, um, you need to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The, the neighbor who's been blowing leaves from his yard onto your yard. You need, that, that guy? You need to love that guy like you love yourself. We hear messages like, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but even the more so as the day draws near and I think the day is drawing very near. So we stay away from church on a regular basis. We hear the messages of, uh, you know, be sacrificial, be generous, that God has enabled us to be generous, very generous, and to give abundantly. And I think my dear friend Edmund Chan was, my wife stated this to me. She was kind of sitting near him and watching him. I think he was... Um, shocked when I put the challenge before you that for just a hundred bucks we could per family we could help out in Haiti and the, she says I, I think he thought you, you're challenging them for a hundred dollars that's like chump change and it really is it's chump change we hear a sermon like that look in our wallet and I only got 15 bucks but you've got all kinds of stuff in the bank, all kinds of stuff in your possessions. You've got two or three cars. We hear a sermon, you know, go and, and reach your, your lost friends. We're like, yeah, yeah, I've got to do that. By the time we get anywhere near the car, it's like, I, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for disciple making. That's an investment of my life. I've got a life, you know. And so it was with them. They um, were pampered by God. Pampered by God. He, he rescued them out of Egypt. They didn't have to do a thing. Just, just go. I'll part the waters for you. Just walk through dry land. I'll give you uh, uh, commandments and I'll give you... Uh, all, of the, all that you need to live and information to live righteously. And I'll even feed you. You don't even have to do anything. You just sit in your chaise lounge every day and I'll, I'll rain down food from heaven. I'll send quails and, and, and they'll fly over and you won't even have to shoot them. They'll just land on the ground and you, it won't be roadkill. It'll be God kill that you get to eat. And what did they do? Thank you, God. You're such an amazing God. Here's the fullness of our hearts. No, no, all they could do is grumble and gripe and complain and say, oh, we wish we had the leeks and onions and stuff back in Egypt. Give me a break. Slaves were not fed buffets. And then they grumbled about the water. You know, God's going to take, he's brought us out here and he's going to dehydrate us. Yeah, that's what God's into. And then just before this chapter, the senior staff rebels. Aaron and Miriam rebel against uh, Moses, which is akin to rebelling against God. 
the mediator, the representative. Of, Moses was simply leading and, and taking them where God wanted them to be. So when we come to this statement here and we say, well, why, maybe, maybe God should have just given them a vacant land, more pampering. No, 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 more pampering wasn't causing them to love God more. It was causing them to gripe and grumble more about God. Why? Because he didn't have their full hearts. The first impossibility of every impossibility is you and me. Because we're so used to functioning on our own strength and our own abilities and our own savvy that we start living our lives as practical atheists not having to trust in God. Give us this day our daily bread. Does that not assume that we're going to go back into God's presence tomorrow and ask Him for daily bread tomorrow? But so regularly, we just skip our prayer time with God. We skip it one day. We skip our uh, reading the Word of God. One thing we were, were talking about in Hannah and Samuel, praying and listening to God, and oh yeah, we left here hearing the sermon. Yes, we have to listen to God. Yes, we have to pray. But, but did you pray this week? Did you read God's Word this week every single day? Because you know what? You skip it one day, and it's easy to skip the second day. And when you skip it the second day, you skip it the third day, and pretty soon it's the fourth day, and pretty soon you've skipped it for a week. And if you're not careful, pretty soon one week becomes two, two weeks become three. And, and you're walking around in life not really relying on God anymore. You're relying on your own strength, and then God brings you towards something that he wants to give you. You say, I can't take that. I can't do that. I can't love my neighbor as myself. I can't stand the guy blowing leaves in my yard all the time. Keep in mind, the sermon included in, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 through 3 uh, if you look there, God says, and by the way, I'm going to take you to the promised land, and I'm going to send an angel in ahead of you to drive out the people of the land. I'm going to take care of everything. I just want you to obey me. I just want you to trust me. I just want you to rely on me totally. That's all. And here's what happens if you are not in constant communication with God, and you're not listening, you're not praying, you're not listening to his word, you are walking out of your house every day saying, God, I got this. I, don't, I, I can take care of life. I'll, I'll, I'll walk in my own strength. And then you start to look around. You start to do an inventory or an audit of your life and you start to realize, wait a second. I'm not, doing, I'm not applying anything I've heard in sermons. You know why? Because you can't apply in your own strength what you hear from God. You were never made to be able to do that. You, you can't withstand temptation. You can't handle sin. Everything looks big to you. Everything's an obstacle, an obstruction, and an impossibility. Of course it is. We weren't made to walk in our own strength and rely on, our, on ourselves and what we have we don't have enough. We aren't strong enough. We can't withstand. If we could, Jesus 
didn't need to come in the first place. Jesus didn't need to die for us in the first place. You and I are the first impossibility of every impossibility. I notice secondly though, that to move against the impossible, you need to right size everything in your life. Choose faith over safe or what you try to save will result in losing what you could have had. God doesn't need people to do his work. He wants a people who will bear his name and display his likeness. We are brought into his family to become like him, a certain kind of people. That's why Jesus, in defining disciple in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, says, anyone who will come after me must, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then he goes on to say, do you remember what he says as, as it moves through the text there? Because he says more than that. He says something really, really critical for us. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. The life you want, if you try to manufacture in your own strength, will result in you losing the life that you want to have in Christ and that he wants to give you. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, the very same thing, not I but Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus is, if I were to paraphrase Jesus, he is saying, and, and what God is seeking to do in their lives in bringing them into the promised land that is a promise, by the way, when it's a promise of God, it's no longer impossible. What he wanted to give them is that their hearts might be fully reliant on him, that, he might, that they might display the strength of God in their lives to a people and nations that had rejected God for centuries. What Jesus is saying in paraphrase is bid farewell to your life, to yourself, so that you can finally, fully give your heart to me. That's the way to really live. What is meant to chase us to God often chases us away from him, especially and particularly if we aren't walking with him each day of our lives. You can't, you can't, I can't. We, we can't take a day off from trusting in God, from praying and hearing from him and, and increasing that. And my, the burden of my heart for our congregation has been for years, but it's become even more acute as God is working over my own heart and really doing a work in my life is that we would be people who really, really know what it is to live in the, in the power of God, to totally trust him, to totally be con convinced of his power and to demonstrate him to totally praise him and show the praise of his excellence to those around us. The exploration, by the way, was for them to, 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 
to long for what God was going to give them. He wasn't sending them into the land to become afraid. He was sending them into the land to see the fruit, that they might long for God, that they might savor him above all else and to say, look what God is giving us. And Caleb, by the way, and Joshua, they got it. Caleb from the tribe of Judah, surprise, surprise. Joshua from the tribe of Joseph, surprise, surprise. They got it. Look at what God is giving us. And why did they get it? Because they've been spending a lot of time with God already. God already had their hearts. It's described for us in verse 20, uh, 24 of, of, of Numbers 14. What, why, what explains Caleb? He had a different heart. He had one that was wholeheartedly committed to God. He had the heart that God wanted to make of all of his people and that God wants to make of our hearts. That's what this exercise is all about. God puts obstacles and obstructions in our way that we might get the idea that we can't do it without him so that he now can manufacture in us the fullness of Christ. That's what he's about. That they might be convinced of their own need for dependency and surrender to God fully. So they made correct observations at the start. They said the land flows with milk and honey, and it did. They also made the right observation when they said, we are weaker than them. And that's an observation you better get up every day and think, I am weaker than Satan. Because you are. You are weaker than the addictions that are dogging your life. You are in your own strength. If you try to live your, any given day on your own strength, you are weaker than your addictions and you are weaker than Satan. Every day. This is an exercise of giving over our hearts afresh to God and saying, oh God, if you don't strengthen me for today's journey, I will surely fail. If you, the one who is in us, is not at work in me and, and fully at work in me, I will not be able to withstand the temptations that the tempter is sending my way. Oh God, I will not be able to hate the, or love the people who are hating me at work if you do not put the love of God afresh in my heart today. I will not be able to love my neighbor as myself today. I will not be able to go and ask somebody to come to the Christmas program this particular year, someone who doesn't know Jesus, if you don't put the courage in my heart to do so every day. You can't take a day off, ever. So they made correct observations about being weak. But then they started to do something that was really perverse. They started to change the reality. It started by when they said that uh, in verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. You know, right there, it, it tells us, because who really sent them? God sent them. They were on a God mission. And suddenly, it's become Moses' mission. And that's the problem with taking a day off. When we take a day off, the mission is no longer Jesus' mission in our life. It is our mission. We've decided to make the mission about us. I can handle today, Lord. I, I'll check in with you maybe tomorrow, because today, the mission is Rick, not Jesus. So they, uh, it starts there, and then they start to say, there's, there's humanosauruses in the land. They, they said, they're, they're gigantic. We look like grasshoppers. The, the land kills people. Who? They went to the land. They weren't killed. 
And then they start to describe the hills. They start to describe the river. They start to describe the sea. They start to describe the whole land. They hadn't 40, in 40 days, they hadn't been around the whole land. They had no idea what was happening in the Jordan. They had no idea what was happening in the Mediterranean. They had no idea what was happening in the mountains. They started to exaggerate how gigantic the problem of their life was. And of course, every problem will look really gigantic if you're on your own mission. And then the coup de grace. Nephilim are in the land. Now, see, if I was there, I would have stood up and said, wait a second. Nephilim? Those guys were drowned in the flood. There's no Nephilim. Now, now we know you're lying to us. But nobody spoke up. They all just started wailing and crying like they always did. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to our old addictions and slavery. Isn't that fun? They all went out of Egypt willingly. They couldn't get out of there fast enough. Is it the same with you? When Christ came calling, didn't you want to get out of your old life as fast as you could? Well, now God wants to take you deep into his heart. Not just spirit you out of your trouble, but actually deep into his heart. The great risk is to reject God. See, fear ultimately turns to rebellion. And that's what happened. We're not going in. Let me just make a final statement for you. You can't make progress against the impossible while your heart is a slave to past dependencies. You want to go back to Egypt. And they made a really, really horrible decision when they said... In verse 4 of Numbers 14, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do you know what they were doing? They were rejecting the plan of redemption and the mediator of their salvation. Do you, are you hearing this? This is, why, this is why this is so crucial. This, this isn't just a, oh, it would be nice if you wanted to be a Christian who really depended upon God. Listen. Their very heart and their hearts and eternity was on the line. Are you going to really reject God and his plan of redemption and his mediator? If we fast forward that to right now, do you know what this is? This is a statement of rejecting the salvation plan of Jesus. You see, what they were doing and what so many people do is they were saying, we want God, but we don't want his plans. We want to we hedge our bet. Like we want to make sure that we kind of got the God thing all right. So that we like the idea of God, but we don't like the idea of his lordship in our lives. Listen, the, the deal of salvation is a package deal. Jesus is the mediator of our salvation. He is the one who makes it possible for us to be saved. And it is his plan of redemption we don't get to change the plan. We don't get to tailor the plan. Say, I don't like the plan. I don't like the rescue plan for me, God. I, I don't like how difficult it is. I don't like where you want to take me. I don't like what you're asking of me. I don't like the commitment and the sacrifice and the crucified life that you're asking of me. I do like you, by the way, but I don't like that. It's a package deal. 
You can't have Jesus as your Savior and not have him as your Lord. You can't. And they're on the edge of that decision right here. Beloved, listen. The difference between Caleb and and Joshua and all the rest, it says in verse 24, they had a different spirit. They followed God wholeheartedly. And my burden, which has grown immensely, is that maybe, maybe we're not growing deep into the heart of God because maybe we're not really paying much attention to him between Sundays. So if you're wondering why you're so frustrated and why your Christian life is going nowhere, why you're just spinning your wheels, it might start there. It wasn't just another sermon of sermons a few weeks back or through this series when I said we have to be praying more. We have to be praying during the week. You have to be talking to God every day. It wasn't just a... Another sermon when I said, Samuel, listen to God, and we have to be listening to God. You have to be into his word between Sundays. Because we have to be on God's mission, not our own. If we're on our own mission, we're going to fail miserably. Caleb and Joshua could use the language that God will take care of us. If the Lord is pleased with us, verse 8, He will lead us. We're not leading ourselves. Don't rebel. Don't be afraid. God is with us. He will give it to us. In verse 17, what God was always after and is still after is that he would construct a people after his own name who would, in verse 17, display the Lord's strength to those who've rejected him. The whole point is that God might be noticed in a culture that is completely ignoring him. The whole point is that we go loaded with God into our workplaces and into our marketplaces and into our schools so that when people notice that we treat that person who's persecuting us well, when we love that neighbor beside us, when we're generous toward the things of God, when we seek to tell others about Him, they're amazed. What was with you. What's with me is God is with me. To display his strength in a culture that had rejected him, the same as our culture. How do you get that kind of heart? I've been thinking a lot about that these last few days. It has to go past believing to abiding. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. 
It's, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. Satan believes in Jesus. But he doesn't abide in him. It's not enough just to be able to teach the truth. To teach what God can do. They had seen what God can do. They could rehearse it. Oh, God took us through this. God did this. They can teach it. But when the rubber hits the road, could they trust it? Could they trust him? It has to go past teaching to trust. And it has to go by past serving. Serving out of duty, out of obligation, out of shame, won't cut it. We serve him because we savor him. And the only way you'll ever savor Jesus is if you spend time with him daily, growing to love him more and more. There's no shortcut to any of this. I beg you, I urge you, I urge me. Let's go deeper and further with God. He's not looking for certain kinds of acts. He's looking for certain kind of people. Father, I pray that you would help us and strengthen us, teach us your ways, and oh God, may we not think that we can live a day in our own strength. For Jesus' sake, amen. One of the things that struck me is in that text is so bizarre is their request to go back to Egypt. Why would they want to go back to Egypt? To be bricklayer slaves of a enslaving people. What would possess them to do that? And then I thought about it and I thought about my own life. Every day that I don't spend in the presence of Jesus, I am literally saying to the face of God, I'd rather go back to Egypt. Because that's the way I used to live when I didn't know Christ. I lived on my own strength, making my own choices, trusting in my own abilities and resources. So every day, every single day that you ignore Jesus, you're actually saying to God, I'd rather go back to slavery. So the question is put for all of us to make a decision. Are you going to look with desire towards your past? to the prize of what's in front of you that Christ offers to you. How you make that decision every single day determines your eternal destiny and direction. Our Father, these are serious matters which if we understand and read the text carefully, we realize you take very seriously. To look you in the face and say, I'd rather have myself and my strength over what I could have in you is a really serious matter. And so, Father, it's no wonder that not much is happening in many of our lives because we're hit and miss with devotion. 
So Lord, I just pray as a commitment from my heart to you and for this, this people who I love so much, oh God, would you by the power of your spirit awaken in us a holy thirst and hunger renewed for you and see where you would take us, oh God. For Jesus' sake I pray, amen.